0: everybody
1: welcome to profoundly pointless my name is nick coming up in this episode we're gonna go to the opera and count down the top five genres of music Uh,
2: that was pretty terrifying you know i was there on stage by myself (laughs) singing the one aria that my character had and and that was it it was like sink or swim go (laughs) one of the strongest connections you know from human to human is the voice and is the, the transmission of emotion through, I always say, one animal cry to the other. You know, you're hearing, you're hearing like emotion and words all tied up into one and coming out with this sort of soaring sound.
1: I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. I think the best way to introduce our first guest is to hear her sing. This is Grammy Award-winning opera singer Isabel Leonard. When did you know that you could really sing?
2: I think there's sometimes there's this, um, this thought that opera singers are just sort of like found with these big voices. And that's not exactly always the case. I think sometimes they're found if they've been training and nobody knew about them in the first place. But generally, you know, opera singers come to come to this world like any other singer does, you know, musical theater or pop or jazz or any of those things is that they start because they can sing and they can carry a tune and then they get into the genres that they like. And then they go on training and, and learning the sort of vocal technique and style that is, um, that is connected to the genre, right. That they're, that they're singing. So, I mean, like as an example, you know, I, I went in high school, I was of course singing a lot of musical theater and, I could have gone to Cap Twenty One, which was the NYU musical theater program, or Juilliard. And I, I chose Juilliard because I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm going to want to have a really solid vocal technique. I think this is where I'm gonna be able to get that technique. And so I went there. Had I gone to Cap Twenty One, I probably would have been in the musical theater world. It's like I knew I could sing and then it was what I'm gonna do with my voice, I wasn't entirely sure. In the very beginning, I just knew that I wanted to have a good technique so that I could then later make those choices.
1: So it's not as if an opera singer just has this fundamentally amazing voice. It's more of a training slash career interest kind of thing.
2: You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's like those 10,000 hours that you put in. It's really it's I think that it's fundamental. It is training muscles. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think that, yeah, it's finding people that kind of have the raw gift and then kind of building from that point.
1: So what kind of like for the training what what do you do?
2: Well I mean vocal training looks a little different probably for everybody. Um, I mean we do things like we do we have vocal exercises right it, it could be as simple as singing scales and doing breath exercises where you learn how to take a very deep breath in, in a in the correct way that allows you to have a free um, a, we call it a free voice like free singing where you're not using your neck muscles. To control the sound that you're creating, that you're really singing from your your full body, Um, and we have all sorts of things that we do, um, you know, as a teacher because I teach as well. But there are so many things that you can do with students to sort of help them get to that place. But it's not like you say to a student, "Here, do this," and then all of a sudden they do it and it's better. Right? It takes hours and years of practicing this until it becomes a habit, until this sort of muscle memory kicks in. And it becomes a habit, you know, as you think of Tiger Woods and his swing, right? The swing is broken up into so many different parts, right? It's the same thing with singing. You have like the inhalation at the beginning and then you have your exhalation, which is really when you're singing. And then all the things that are attached to the singing, like the articulators of your mouth, which are going to say and uh, say the words and make the different vowels and consonants and things that, that that we have to do, right, in order to communicate language. Uh, and again, I always I always refer it back to the athlete because I think it's kind of an easier way to see that it's, it's actually quite the same. The, the biggest difference is that there's less visual when you're teaching somebody like a singer um, that you can point out to the public because it's all happening inside the voice. Right? So uh, unlike with an athlete, you could look at you know, a basketball player, a golf pro or whatever, and you can watch them go through their process and go through a day of training. And you could see very specifically the movements they make with their body that are supposed to help them get better. Um, With a, you can do this with a lesson. And I I just think it's a lot more subtle. So it doesn't, it's not always as, uh, as blatant as, as what we're doing, right?
1: So what was it about opera that drew it, that drew you to it?
2: Um, I sort of fell into opera. I, you know, when I went to Juilliard, like I said, I wanted to, I wanted to have a good technique. That was my first and foremost goal was to get a good singing technique. And then at Juilliard, it was a classical based education. We did a lot of, we started off course, like everybody with the Italian art songs and we, which is this, um, I think basically a book of like, it sounds Italian songs that are used traditionally when you're, learning how to sing and you're learning about technique it would be like you know somebody learning how to really do a correct squat (laughs) you know or like in learning how to run properly and run efficiently in any sport so that that basic thing is really well taken care of right it's the sort of the same idea and at juilliard it was a lot of the classical music and of course we worked on operas and and all this this classical repertoire and I sort of fell into it from that point. I did my undergrad and then I once I was entrenched four years into that I stayed. I did my master's. I was lucky enough to be able to go back for my master's. And by that point I was really, you know, fully entrenched in the opera world.
1: (laughs) Do you, I mean, to get an opera part do you, is it an audition? Is it like, it's not like a job application or something. Like how does it work?
2: No, they're all auditions. Um, Once you get to a certain level, you generally if you're lucky, you stop auditioning And the companies will come to you or your manager and they'll say, hey, we're doing this production in a year or two years time. Can and is she available for this role? Would you like to sing this role? Here are the dates. And a lot of times, you know, you might want to do it. You might not be free. Um, And so then those are just the negotiations that go into that. Uh, And in the beginning, when you're a young artist, you. You know, basically you try to stay in school kind of as long as you can because you're developing. And unlike, again, unlike athletes this time, singers develop a lot later. I would say like into your mid-30s is when singers really come into their own and really figure out their vocal technique. And so that's kind of a ways to wait. So singers tend to go from their master's program, if they went to a master's program, into things that we call young artist programs or apprenticeship programs And lots of big opera companies in the United States and all over really have these programs like and they're really I really like the word apprenticeship because at that point you're older, you know, you're in your mid to late 20s, perhaps, and you're working for a company um, and you're you're getting you're still getting coachings and you're working on your voice and you're doing maybe scenes from operas, not full operas. But if you're lucky, you also get to sing the small roles in the main stage operas with the main stage singers that come in as guest artists throughout the seasons. And so then you're really learning a lot, you know, trial by fire, so to speak.
1: The fact that singers kind of come into their own a little bit later, is that because of a physical reason? Like does the body, does the voice change? Or is it just being practiced enough in it?
2: you know that's a really good question I actually am not entirely sure if it is something to do with the musculature if it has to do with the development of the vocal cords perhaps the vocal cords mature continue to mature um, into the 30s more than we realize I think that singing it's such a finer muscle uh, training that perhaps it just takes longer to Finesse the the coordination of the of the whole thing. Um, I do know, like for example, I sounded not so different, but quite different in timbre from when I was in my early twenties, mid twenties to like what I do now. And a lot of that has to do with use. That has to do with you know use and experience and uh, just mus- muscular usage. But it has to do with hormonal changes and shifts in the body and getting older and. You know, like, again, like any muscle in the body, the vocal cords are muscle and they are, they will be subject to what the body is subject to.
1: What was that first kind of big performance like for you? What do you remember about it?
2: You know, when you're a, when you're a singer and if you're going to, let's say, a young artist program, you're performing little things here and there and you're, you know, there's never really, for most people, it isn't like all the and you weren't doing performances and then all of a sudden you have this one big show, right? And you have all of a sudden started. It usually starts in smaller ways than that. You start with a little concert here or a scenes program. Um, I was very fortunate that for me, I was able to start working really soon and I was able to, to sing sort of like the equivalent of um, like supporting actress roles, you know, the, sort of the second, kind of like the second lady roles in most of the shows that I was doing. And so I was able to go in as a guest artist and sing these roles and um, I was I was thrown into the deep end of the pool very very quickly in my career and a relatively unusual path for singers. But I I debuted at the Met I think when I was either twenty five or twenty six I was really young, and it came out from a, a recital that I had done in New York and my manager who I had also met uh, pretty young, had invited Peter Gelb who is the general manager of the Met. To my recital, and at the end of the recital, he told me that he had been there. And then from that recital, he hired me basically for the following 15 seasons at really? the Met. Um, and so that was really, I mean, that was like, it was lucky, but it was being prepared, right place, right time, and having some great people supporting me along the way. And so I was able to debut in that house very, very quickly. And that was pretty terrifying. You know, I was there on stage by myself <laughs> singing the one aria that my character had and and that was it. It was like sink or swim, go.
1: <laughs> is opera is it kind of a cutthroat world? Is it really competitive or is it what's it like?
2: You know, I stay away from all that kind of nonsense. So if it is I wouldn't have noticed. Um I um I just don't play into people's insecurities and, and problems and things. Cause I think as performing artists, we have so many of them as it is on our own that the last thing you need is to add anything else to it. Um, we, I, I would say that amongst my friends and myself and the people that are in my close circle who are in the business, we're all very supportive of each other and we're all extremely aware that, that everybody's different. You know, everybody's voice is like their thumbprint completely unique, very much their own. And everybody has a different way of telling stories and of singing. And the best way I think to get through any kind of performing art career is to not be in direct competition to the person next to you, because there's actually no growth there because it's jealousy, it's frustration, right? But if you're in competition with yourself, like to continuously do a better job or to continuously study and hone on your technique and, and do all those things. And that's that's good. I think that's really good.
1: So I, I seem to see kind of two different kinds of things of what me as a person with no knowledge would consider to be opera. One where there's somebody that's just standing and singing in front of a microphone, and then another where it seems to be almost like a play. Are, are those both the same thing, or what's, what's the difference there?
2: Well, so technically in opera, we do not use a microphone ever. Really? So... No, no, no. Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's an acoustic. It's an acoustic art form. So there are no mics in opera. And so if you hear an opera singer in front of a microphone, there's usually a reason for that. They're probably in a venue that is uh, way too big, or outdoors, or it's a broadcast of some sort. You know, and they need different sound sound levels, right? So, uh, yeah. So and I would say these days, opera is definitely a singing play. It is people on stage, you know, moving and in, in costume and acting and telling the story that is the opera by singing it. And, and operas are constructed differently. You know, there there are operas in which the characters sing all the time. There are operas in which there's a little bit of dialogue. Um, we have, there are structural things in the music. We have our arias, right, and our duets and things like them, trios and stuff like that. Um, As well as something that we call recitative, and it's basically a reciting reciting of text. And recitative is when you sing text. Now, you would say, well, that's what you're doing anyway, right? It's like, yes, yes, it is. (laughs) Singing text all the time. But a lot of times in the recit, so as we shorten them to say recit, because we shorten everything in the opera world, we never say anything fully. We'll never say like Don Giovanni. We'll just be like Don G, Don Giovanni, or like, or we'll just say, or we'll just say like Giovanni instead of saying Così Pantute, We'll just say Così. You know, right? <laughs> we'll do a lot of that kind of thing. So, but the recitative is usually when the if it, if there were to be dialogue in a show, that would have been the dialogue. Except this time, it's still sung, right? But mm-hmm. it is more free musically and rhythmically so usually the recit is done with a harpsichord playing chords and then the singer singing their text essentially over these chords two notes that are are written down in the music but their the rhythm is a little bit freer so they're a little more open to interpretation of the singer and they can be a lot of fun Um, So we have, I would say, in the opera world, we do operas, full-staged operas, costumes, lights, orchestra, everything. We have concerts in orchestra and symphony halls in which we stand at the front of the stage in front of a giant orchestra or symphony. And we work, we do different pieces there. Usually we don't sing opera. We'll sing concert repertoire, which is different. Or we'll sing oratorio. So sometimes you're singing religious work or non-religious work. Or you'll sing... Sometimes there are songs that were written by composers that they also set to an orchestra, and you can do those with an orchestra as well as with piano for a recital, for example. So there's a lot of like really fun permutations within the music that we sing and they can sort of translate into those different you
1: know opera stage, concert stage, recital stage venues. What do you have to do to care for your voice?
2: Well, you I just, well, not over abuse it, I would say. Not yelling (laughs) not not uh not screaming and yelling, not over over singing. Um having a good technique is you know, primary. And um I don't know. I I try not to be too neurotic about my voice.
1: Like after a longer performance or a regular performance, can you talk normally or do you like wear it out or anything?
2: No, no, no. I think if you're wearing your voice out after a show you're doing something wrong. (laughs) I would say that after after a show generally singers and particularly because it's so late and we probably haven't eaten since you know three in the afternoon. We all tend to go get some food. And, and the thing is to go to a quiet restaurant is really ideal. The biggest issue again is going to like a very loud place, loud restaurant, loud bar. Cause that's really detrimental for a singer, especially if they, and even more so if they have to sing like the next day. Right. So it's one thing if you just sang a show and you're at a loud bar, it's like, well, maybe you have the next day to recover. It's still not a good idea, but it's better than, for example, like if you were to say, hey, let's go to dinner the night before your show, I would be like, no, thanks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready for the harder slash listener submitted questions? Yeah. Is your voice insured? Yes. How much, like, how much do you insure a voice for? Can I ask?
2: I, 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 No. (laughs) I don't. I don't really know. I mean, it's it's one of those things that I, I started. The, I think I, I think it's insured. I think it's insured, actually. Now they asked me. I'm thinking harder about it. No, I think it is insured. I mean, we're talking basically about disability insurance, right? Yeah. Because it's my it's my career. So it's just, it's it's basically it's disability insurance, and you try to insure you know your voice for what you're making. You know, through the course of your life, hopefully, and because God forbid you have to stop short, and what are you going to do, right? it's it would be like an athlete would do the same thing a pianist will ensure their hands violinist will ensure their hands um, they will all musicians will do this because it's their livelihood i mean this is it's serious stuff you know
1: it's one of those things i guess that it sounds a certain way but then when you think about it, it's like oh that makes complete sense and i would do the exact same thing
2: <laughs> of course i think when you realize you know i, I think that's one of those things is that there's still stigmas, you know, behind becoming a musician, you know, and and I remember even in college, I had friends whose parents were very supportive and I had friends whose parents were not supportive at all. Right. And they were like, you're never going to have a a good enough career or like, you're never going to make enough money. And it's, it's really tricky. Right. And I also think that it's very difficult in this country, right. Our, our music, you know, the arts are, are are not government subsidized like they are in Europe. And so it is a difficult business. I think in this country, you have to be a savvy business person you have to, you have to figure out how not to be taken advantage of um, and how to save your money. And for, for all of us, we're all independent contractors. You know, we, we pay quarterly taxes. We have, we're an independent contractor status. So this whole thing now with COVID and all of us being out of work has been very tricky for people Because they may be able to file for unemployment in one of the states that they worked in. uh, But the companies themselves aren't going to pay us unemployment because we are not employees of the opera companies that we work at because we work at so many. So there's a lot of it's a real big issue. So when you think of it that way and then you go, did you insure your voice? Like, hell, yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: What is the hardest opera to sing?
2: Oh, I have no idea. I don't know how to answer that question because it's different for everybody. Um, that's like asking the questions, what's your favorite opera? It's, those are the kinds of questions that we all kind of go, stop asking me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's all because we want to know. It,
2: I know, but here's my question to you. Why do you want to know? <laughs> like if I were to say to you, here's my favorite and here's my hardest, would that make you more, um, would, would you go and then listen to that one? Probably, right? Maybe.
1: I think maybe from, like, a layperson's perspective, it gives yeah. me, like, an an idea of a new appreciation of what I'm really looking at or listening to.
2: Mm. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I guess, I guess I've always, you know, those questions are hard because, again, you know, we are constantly evolving and we're constantly changing as artists and our techniques are constantly evolving. So you know, the first five years of my career, I could have said, I, I definitely find this particular role to be difficult, but then five years later, it's not so difficult, right? It changes. Um, and so, but my answer, to be honest with that question of like, what's your favorite or what's, what do you think is the hardest opera? Is that for me in terms of favorite, it's whatever it is that I'm working on. So, and I really get entrenched in the piece that I'm working in. I'm focused in on it. And in order to play these characters, honestly, I really feel like you have to be in it and you have to be loving what you're doing. you have to kind of love the character you're playing, no matter what kind of character they are, but you have to love who they are and, uh, and go with that as for hardest opera. I mean, hardest, maybe technically vocally. Um, I'd have to think about it. Um, I mean, Marnie was really hard. This piece that I did, this Nico Muley piece that I did, uh, that's been streaming for the last 24 hours on the Met on live demand, um, uh, live on demand. Sorry. It was like, Yoda speaking, um, met live on demand, (laughs) met live demand, you, um, (laughs) the, uh, that's on their website. And that was a, a contemporary opera written by Nico Muley, who's a contemporary of mine, very gifted, gifted, gifted composer. That's a very hard thing. Technically, technically very hard thing, very difficult notes to find, very modern, very difficult. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I would say, okay, that could be an answer. That could be a hard, a hard piece. But again, I I think in retrospect I look back and everything has its challenges and everything has its easy moments and
1: how do you feel about people doing karaoke can you listen to it or (laughs) does it bother you
2: (laughs) that is hilarious I will listen to people I I have no problem with karaoke just don't ask me to do it
1: (laughs) you won't yeah I wonder like what's that like for you if somebody say doesn't know what you they try to do they try to get you up there like what do they do all the
2: time yeah No, I just don't. I can't. I can't. (laughs) I think it's also mainly because I just don't know enough like pop culture songs. Like all the music that I know is probably coming from, I mean, aside from the opera world comes from like from the 1930s to the 1960s and so I don't really I can do some of the like 70s 80s and 90s things but I'm just not very good at it so I'm like you know what? it's totally fine I can leave it to somebody else I can sit here and watch <laughs> it's not a big thing for me personally I have friends though who love it like who are in the opera world and who love it and get a kick out of it so
1: can a lot of people can they not sing because they just fundamentally like you just don't have the voice it's, your voice isn't that great or do they just not know how to do it
2: That's a really good question. I don't, okay, so now I don't have like a scientific answer, which I wish I did because I think it would be good to have one. But I do know that so much of singing and has to do with just matching pitch, right? And I think when, when kids are little, this is when you teach them to match pitch. Matching pitch is just an oral skill, like oral, right? It's our ear. It's a matter of hearing something and then replicating that sound, which is something that babies do anyway, right? Because they learn how to speak and they learn how to create the sounds in the language that their mother or father, whoever is taking care of them is speaking to them, right? And all of those things happen through the ear and then they create the shapes and the, the sounds that they need to create with their mouth and their tongue in order to replicate those sounds. So in my mind, I would think that with enough, we call it ear training you could get somebody to match pitch if they were perhaps before having trouble matching pitch. Now, could you get that same person to go from a situation in which they weren't matching pitch to them singing on an opera stage? Uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. I've never tried. I mean, that could be fun. It could be a good, you know, reality TV crazy show. Um, but uh, I think that so much of it has to do with the being like an active listener and trying to match pitch i mean that's the basic right that's the very first step of the whole thing
1: it does seem like a lot of it would be able to hear the difference and i think that for me as an untrained person who knows like i can't hear the difference necessarily
2: hear the difference between
1: pitch like i don't i couldn't Uh tell you if i was i I don't even know what where to even begin
2: interesting that's like did you sing as a child like did you sing at school or anything like did your parents ever sing
1: no but that yeah that ability has skipped the vinzant family (laughs) by a (laughs) long way jumped over it by a long way um that's hilarious some of the other ones that that we got best movie about an opera singer
2: Best movie about an opera singer?
1: I don't. Is there a movie about?
2: I are there even movies about opera singers? I mean, I feel like Julianne Moore just did the Bel Canto movie, and it was so she played an opera singer, but it wasn't really about an opera singer. Um, um, I would go and watch um, the Callas documentary that was just made. Um, it was pretty fantastic. Um, and she's really interesting. She's got her, obviously a really interesting history, you know, Mm -hmm. Meryl Meryl Streep just made this movie. Oh, what was it called? She was playing, they called this woman like the worst opera singer. She could, so here's a situation. Like she could not sing into this woman, but she loved opera. She very much loved opera. And anyway, it's a real story, but Meryl Streep was playing this woman. It's a very funny movie. Um, but it's not exactly, you know, it's not exactly showing what the actual, you know, trained hard ass, you know, opera singer, uh, is doing right. It's just this one, this one particular story. So I mean, but that juxtaposed, you know, juxtaposed with the Collis documentary could be really fun. Can you shatter
1: glass? Can you shatter glass with your voice?
2: Um, I don't, I have never done it. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's gotta be possible, right? Cause were just talking about vibration. If you get, if you get maybe a thin enough glass, a crystalline enough glass, perhaps, right. That, cause again, it's just vibration, right? So you know how if you, like when you're like at a rock concert, right. And you, the, the, the speakers are vibrating, you know, because the bass is so loud and you can feel the vibration in your chest. It's because what's happening is your tissues are vibrating at the same rate that the music is playing, right? That those vibrations are coming in so loud because vibration is sound wave and sound waves travel through the air. They actually, right? So there's in my brain, I'm thinking, well, why not? If that's the sound wave that travels through air, if I'm singing very closely to a thin glass and I'm singing, I have to find the right pitch. That's the other thing. You'd have to find the right pitch that would make that glass vibrate, right? Cause every object has a vibration point. I think, I don't know how to explain this scientifically, but it, every object can vibrate at a certain frequency. And so if you find that frequency, and I bet if you sing it loud enough, you could probably make at least the glass. Ah! <laughs> sounds, like, about that.
1: sounds like you just did it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I dropped one of my son's trucks. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, and I'm thinking maybe if you were loud enough right next to a glass, maybe you could. Probably good. Could.
1: Acoustic, okay. Acoustically speaking, which theater was your favorite?
2: Oh, it's a good question. There are so many good um, theaters out there, and there's so many great acoustics as well. Uh, I don't know if I have one favorite. Um, this last season before everything shut down, I had performed um, uh, where did I go? I was actually at the Detroit Symphony. They have a fantastic hall. Cincinnati has a fantastic hall. I love singing in San Francisco and I've sung there many times and I adore the symphony. Um, I mean, the Met, I gotta tell you, the Met has a fantastic acoustic. It is a huge house, but it is a fantastic acoustic. And, um, let's see what else. There are lots of actually, there are some really great, great halls, especially the symphony halls, the ones where the orchestras play. Um, those are really great. And then in Europe, you get all these wonderful jewel house. We call them like jewel house opera theaters because they're, It's a little bit smaller. You know, they're not as massive as the Met, for example. And they're beautiful, of course, and they're old. And the architecture is beautiful. And some of them have, like, all this gold inlay in the walls. And it's just, you know, these stunning – that's why they're called jewel boxes, right? You kind of – it's like if you were to open the lid, it would just be this shining, beautiful box. And a lot of those tend to have great acoustics also just because they're just naturally smaller, right? You don't have to worry too, too much about singing into this huge space.
1: What do your neighbors think of you? Do you annoy them with your singing?
2: I hope not. If I'm annoying people with my singing, I better stop. Um, no, actually, we are very close friends with my, our next-door neighbor, and she likes it. She likes it when I practice, so <laughs> she's always very happy. She's always very happy. I always get a text from her after I've been practicing one day. She's like, I heard you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, you know, everybody's different, and it depends on where you live. And I would say that singers are very respectful of, you know, the kind of, practicing that they have to do and um you know it's we're no less or more annoying than having somebody sing musical theater or jazz or anything else because if the voice is good then the voice is good if the voice is not so great then it's a little annoying right just like if you were listening to a clarinetist play the same riff over and over again and they kept on like honking away at it you know that would get annoying but if they were a beautiful clarinetist you would listen to that all day
1: right something that i've always wondered about and i'm I'm not a big music person. I kind of never have been. But there is mm-hmm. something about an opera singer, something about somebody who can really sing that can almost bring me to tears. Like, what, mm. what is that? Why do you think that is?
2: Uh, I mean, I personally think that there is one of the strongest connections, you know, from human to human is the voice. And is the the transmission of emotion through? I always say one animal cry to the other. You know, you're hearing, you're hearing, like emotion and words all tied up into one and coming out with this sort of soaring sound. And it's uh, it's extremely touching. You know, it's 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 why we love Frank Sinatra singing in "New York, New York." You know, we love. You know, we listen to. We have all of these iconic voices from history and that we hear and we know who they are right. Without even, and, and they don't even have to be singers or performers. You know, you think like Martin Luther King, you hear his voice, you know, it's him, you know, you hear, um, I'm trying to think of some other people off the top of my head, but I think, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. You hear a voice is so um, identifiable. And I think because of that, you can immediately be drawn in and feel close and feel heard and feel, feel touched and almost feel like that person is singing directly to and for you only. And I think that that's what singing really does and can do. It's just this, it's like one wolf crying out to another wolf across a forest. They hear each other and they feel each other and and they are communicating.
1: Favorite non-opera song to sing?
2: Oh, favorite non-opera song to sing. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I love, look, I love all the ladies of Gershwin, like ladies of jazz. I used to sing in the jazz band when I was in high school. And, um, so I love all the standards. I love all those.
1: Um, you don't have yeah, to, cool. you, you don't have to name any names. Can, okay. pop, can pop singers sing? Are they good singers or not?
2: Yeah. Yeah. There are some that are really good singers. Totally. I think like Ariana Grande is a great singer. I think she can sing really well. I think um, I'm always really surprised like when I hear a pop singer who really has a lot of vocal freedom and it's usually the ones that when they get on to like a talk show or something and they don't have like auto-tune and they're not on recording and they're not, you know, on a mic where there's all these other things going on and they all of a sudden sing something and you really hear their voice and it is exactly how you've been hearing it in recordings and you go, aha, you know, like that's for real. That's a real, that's the real deal, right? Because they can sing you know, without having to worry about anything else, kind of creating sounds around their voice, right? Um, it's like, it always makes me laugh, like, when I hear, I think, isn't it Seth Myers? Seth Myers the one that does the voices for Family Guy? Is that?
1: Seth M- McFarlane. Is it
2: him? Seth McFarlane. Oh, you know, I have been screwing up people's last names, huh. left and right, over the last two days. I am ashamed. <laughs> oh, Seth McFarlane.
1: No, but I know what you're talking about. Like, hearing yes. him, like he, but can he can sing. sing.
2: Yeah. So that's what I'm like. He can totally sing. Like, I would do a duet with him in a heartbeat. Anything. I don't care what it is. I'll sing with him. You know, I'll sing with Ariana. I would sing with J-Lo. I like, I like J-Lo. You know, come on, Jenny from the block. We're from New York. You know, um, I mean, Bronx, Bronx Manhattan, whatever. Um, you know, um, I would, I've always been a big fan of Madonna. Um, I haven't heard her sing recently, but. I just think she's kind of incredible by how, how much she's evolved over the decades. Um, it, it, is, is there and,
1: anybody that, like, jumps out at you like, oh, they they could jump right into opera. They've got the voice to it.
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, Straight from pop? I'm not sure. I'd have to give it some thought. I'd have to give it some thought. Um...
1: From any musical genre, then? Anybody that you could think of like, ooh, they could jump out of I mean,
2: I guess like, uh, I don't know. I have not listened to Tony Bennett in a long time, so I don't know what he sounds like right now. Maybe like a young, I mean, I would have said like Frank Sinatra in the beginning, but he was also trained at some point in his career by an opera singer. Hmm. He took lessons. Like, he took lessons from an opera singer to learn good technique. Hmm.
1: (laughs) How can opera be more relatable? Do you think it needs to be more relatable?
2: Yeah, I think I do. I think it does. I think, I think the audience needs to know that they are welcome and they, they can come and they can get into the stories. And even if it's in a different language, like, like not to let that bother you or, 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 um, you know, deter you from coming in that, um, that the stories are awesome and they're so touching and they're so deep. And like, it's like watching one of those, just like watching like great films. And some of them are funny. Some of them are, you know, tragically sad, and to be totally honest, anybody that's like, oh, opera's too long. If you've all watched Lord of the Rings movies, opera is not too long. <laughs> those movies are freaking long. They're like three and a half hours. And that's pretty much as long as you would need for an opera. And at least you get to get up in the middle of an opera and go get a glass of wine, which granted, obviously, you could do that if you're watching those movies at home. But <laughs> you know what I mean yeah yeah <laughs> you know you can get up and and you know in in rush get just a glass of wine and make kind of an evening of it and get dressed if you want or not you know I mean please wear the clothes but <laughs> but like I mean get dressed up, get dressed up nicely versus like just be cash um I do think it needs to be relatable. I think that it needs to be promoted more like the sports players are promoted. I think that individual singers need to be promoted more to the audience so that the audience can really start to like get to know the people, the people behind those characters and the, you know, the actors, it's like, we know, you know, actors, actors that we love. And we know everybody thinks they know who they are. Right. Oh, so, and so, Oh, he's a method actor. Mm -hmm. Yes. I know so much about so-and-so. Right. And it's the same kind of thing. I think if we got to know singers a little bit more on that level, uh, people would feel more kind of confident perhaps about coming into the houses and the theaters, coming to see these people live. Um, you know, also, I got to say, it's 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 such a rare thing. The live art form is still um, unique. It is still magical. And like you said, that listening to a human voice, right, can bring you to tears. And it could be a happy song, and it can still bring you to tears. And there's something so magical about being, whether it's feet away or a couple hundred feet away from listening to a live singer with an orchestra. And it's just, it's like nothing else.
1: That's pretty much all I got. What's coming up next for you? What's kind of on the horizon?
2: Technically, I will be going to Houston in September October to do my very first Carmen down at Houston Grand Opera. So it'll be my role debut down there as well as my debut at the Opera House. And then I have a, um, I have a tour coming up after that. And I should be at, uh, oh, back in – no, back in L.A. in January for a concert. And then – in a little bit after that, I go back to the Met to do a new production of, of Giovanni, of Don Giovanni. <laughs> and, um, so that should be fun. And, um, yeah, so I don't know. I think everybody should get on to like the Met on demand and, and check out the live streams that are happening right now because Peter is uh, streaming live one opera every every day or every other day for 24 hours. So people can kind of start to watch these things and get to know them and feel like they're getting to know it without feeling like they have to do any sort of financial commitment yet. Um, and then later, you know, to do, I think it's like $15 a month or something to have them met on demand uh, at all times. And then you can put it up like on your big screen at home and you can turn up the volume and listen to these people and you can see their faces up close, right? Which is also pretty rare, especially for a place like the Met, because normally you're, you know, sitting way far away and it's hard to see. Um
1: and it's like it's really like nothing else. Is it's very cool. It's very, very cool. I want to thank Isabel so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we have also included her information on the RSS feed that's on her podcast. She's got, she's got these really cool series of Instagram chats that she's been putting up on her social media. If you want to hear more of her singing, she has a YouTube channel. It's really cool to check out. I'm, like I mentioned, I'm not a huge music person, but just to hear somebody who can really sing, to me, that's just such an amazing experience. Okay, now let's go ahead and give John Schull a call. when you empty the dishwasher and you get to the silverware do you take that silverware tray thing out of the dishwasher and move it over to the silverware drawer or do you just walk back and forth
0: i just walk back and forth but i I needed to i need to make it a note that emptying the dishwasher and loading the dishwasher is probably one of my most hated things to do
1: like what's so difficult about loading it
0: i guess i don't have a good reason i just i'm not a big fan of it i'm I, I'm really weird and I get really annoyed by the sound of silverware clanking together.
1: What what? Why? Just silverware? I,
0: just silverware, yes. I I don't I don't really have a good reason as to why. I don't know why. I just I can't stand it.
1: How about silverware touching a plate? Does that bother you or is it specifically silverware on silverware?
0: It's just silverware on silverware, metal on metal. Just drives me. Friggin' bonkers.
1: Who's clicking their silverware together that much? Like, what? who are you eating with that's just banging their knife and fork together all the time? <laughs> well, uh,
0: it's, it's, not, it's not like at dinner time or eating with people, necessarily. Uh, I guess the best way I can describe it is, th- think you're at a restaurant, and you know like when they dump the silverware into that, you know, like a, a tub or something to sort it? Uh, like, that sh- noise is what absolutely, like, just drives me insane.
1: Do you look around when you hear it? Do you look back and see who did it?
0: Oh yeah. I've I, I've I've gone I've gone to be so maybe stupid and dumb as to like move spots in a restaurant because I was too close to where they were doing it.
1: Did you say something when you moved spots or did you just give up? Okay, what did you do? <laughs> did you say something? Did you give them a look as you moved, or did you just move and call no attention to it whatsoever?
0: I mean, so I've, I've done it twice, and both times I've done it, I've been very cordial. I, I haven't said the reason why I want to move. I just asked if we could move, you know, tables or to another part of the restaurant, and, you know, was, was given no blowback each time, so I didn't have to explain it to him.
1: You just said, I would like to move. You didn't give him a reason?
0: What? I mean, yeah, pretty much. Wow. I try to keep it on the DL that I'm a lunatic moron.
1: No, I think most people try to keep it on the down low that they're a lunatic moron. Most people are lunatics, really when you get right down to it. But you just said I'd like to move and just straight face stare at him. You didn't offer any kind of a reason?
0: Nope. No, I mean not that I can remember.
1: Weird but understandable. I mean, I I would I'd always forget that you can take the tray out and I just walk like, back and forth.
0: Like God rest her soul, but like my my deceased grandmother could be clanking silverware together and i would have walked over to her and like removed the silverware from her hands
1: wow that's not a lot of respect for your grandma i can probably only name 50 percent of my cousins and i only have like 12 cousins
0: <laughs> uh well I, I probably could name all my cousins just because i think i have 12 or 11
1: i, I could get really close there's one or two i'm not sure what their name is
0: so is it like at family gatherings where it's like every 10 years? The, how do you introduce yourself or how do you say hello to that person? I just don't to
1: talk to – I just don't speak to them.
0: <laughs> I'm, sure you're, I'm sure you're like the life of the party because people just love you.
1: I think they know me well enough that if I don't have anything to say to you, I'm not going to come up and just start talking to you. <laughs> the, the thing is, is I've got two cousins. One is like it's an Allison or an Alyssa or an Elisa like I'm not entirely sure what their name is so I just don't start the conversation.
0: What what would be more awkward? Being like having to speak to somebody like that, like a family member that you're not entirely sure what their name is for 10 minutes or your most hated relative that you know. Like, well.
1: Um I mean, you could go pretty long time without knowing somebody's name in a conversation, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we both have done it. Uh as I know I have, especially in my younger days. I,
1: and I will make this confession as a former news reporter that used to go out and interview literally hundreds of people. There's probably been hundreds of times where I showed up and had honestly absolutely no idea why I was there or who I was talking to. <laughs> and you just start the conversation. And you're like, okay, tell me, tell me about what you're doing here. <laughs> and you kind of figure it out halfway through it.
0: To all the aspiring journalists out there, that's really actually how it is. I can second that.
1: Oh yeah, we're in. in look, local news journalists are incredibly incompetent. Incredibly well, incompetent. Well, listen, I, did, I didn't go that far. You're the one who put that out there. I'm going to put that out there. I know a lot of them. They're incredibly incompetent. <laughs> uh, let's let's just move on before everybody hates it. Yeah.
0: Let's. Uh, <laughs> let's. I, I want to get your thoughts real fast on uh, NASCAR being the only professional sport that is going back. To you know, to having competition, and of course, it's the quote unquote redneck sport. Well, like, does that just not fit where America is during this COVID pandemic?
1: Okay, I'm going to go ahead and and not take your angle on it necessarily because I know you just want me to badmouth people that offend you. Um, <laughs> I was yeah,
0: I, I, I honestly want your thought. That's why I brought it up. My
1: honest thought is is that that's a great marketing move from NASCAR because their fans, stereotypically, are probably the people who would really support them doing that and would support them because they are kind of stubborn stereotypically and would support them regardless of the health risk to themselves. They're going to do it because, damn it, they're going to do it. And that's how it is. I'm really surprised that somebody, whether it's sport or entertainment or anything didn't go to like a deserted island and just be the only programming out there
0: well i mean you know we as people i think have gotten we record this on a monday uh monday night into tuesday espn has uh, a partnership now with the korean baseball league they're gonna air korean korean baseball league games at like four in the morning to have live sports
1: now is that north korea or south korea
0: <laughs> oh shit um
1: you don't, don't fucking know, do you? We're gonna have to, I assume
0: it's South Korea, but knowing my look, I'm wrong. I, it has to be South Korea, I think.
1: Do you even know where South Korea and North Korea is on a map? Of course. Where? What you country? Say
0: this. Like, it's, what country is it close to? Me. Um. Well, I know it's in the Asian Pacific. Wow. Um,
1: That's racist. How's <laughs> it racist? You're. Oh, because it's an Asian-sounding country, it has to be in Asia. Racist. See, you
0: do this just to set me up, I feel. Like, I could tell you latitude and longitude of where they are, and you would still find a way to make me into an asshole. La-
1: latitude and longitude is one of those things that is completely meaningless to 95% of the population. Probably actually 99% of the population. Totally meaningless.
0: I mean, all, all I can tell you is I'm pretty sure Japan's near near them, and I think North Korea borders China. I think. I, I could be wrong, but I, I think I'm right.
1: If you can tell me the latitude that Detroit is at, I will be so impressed. Can you tell me the latitude or longitude? Just give me any kind of number. See if you can even get close.
0: I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to tell you, like, the like the correct number, like, how to do it. Um,
1: That's what I mean. Like, I want to see if you can even, like... Catch the number by accident.
0: i 140 degrees north, I don't know, 20 degrees east? I, I don't...
1: Well, wow. <laughs> you got the degrees right, which at least shows that you have some concept of what latitude and longitude is. 42 okay. degrees north, 83 degrees west is the latitude okay. and longitude of Detroit.
0: Wow. I actually did way better than I thought I, I all right, fair enough.
1: What were you going to go with? What was the thing that initially popped into your head, but you said, no, that's stupid?
0: <laughs> oh, like 1.6679 Northeast by 7.88 Southwest or something.
1: That's Yeah, that's about what I thought. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Hurry up.
0: <laughs> oh, what's, what's Wichita's latitude? Uh, latitude let's just let's move on. Fuck it. Yeah. Um, should have just listened to you the first time. Uh, let's get some shout-outs. That sounds like a good idea right now, so I'll I'll stop talking about things that don't matter. Uh, so appreciate everyone checking us out. We have t-shirts now. Nick sent me a small and made me take a picture of it, which he's going to post on social media at some point, um, which is going to scare everybody. But either way, uh, check that out. It's on profoundlypointless.com. You know where we're at on social media. So uh, let's, let's give some shout-outs. Let's start with Eric. Kevin, Mallory, Nick, Lacey, uh, Zachary Vanessa, Danny, Tracy, Timberwolf, Ooh. Chuck, Dave, Catherine, Horace, and the Lost Lovely Boys. Appreciate everyone checking us out last week. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you know where we're at. How, and uh, yeah, so.
1: How do you spell Zachari?
0: It's uh, Z-A-C-H- Dash, A-R-Y. I assume it's...
1: It's fucking Zachary, dude. between the H to the A? Spell it again. It's Zachary.
0: Uh, Well, (laughs) I I know somebody that does it the same way, and it's Zachary. So I went with my best guess.
1: Okay, spell it one more time for people who missed it, how you think that Zachary is spelled.
0: (laughs) Well, to me, Zachary is... Without the dash. I was going based upon what I what I remember seeing.
1: Wow. Racist.
0: No. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> I don't know how that's always oh, got a dash in it. No, that's <laughs> I don't know why that would be racist. But I'd just like to see what you would say. It's probably he just that like Zachary was just taken, so he put a dash in there.
0: Maybe. That whatever. Then we'll say Zachary, okay? Zachary then.
1: I hope Zachary Zakari. write us and let us know what your real name is, and see how much it butchered it.
0: Zachary, uh, you know Morrow. I, I apologize, but I don't apologize at the same time. Okay. Check him out on Instagram. He's Zach da- Data Sup. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. Okay. All right. Enough of this shit. Um. Uh, N sixty four or PlayStation? What were you as a kid?
1: N sixty four. Okay. I mean, Nintendo, so is I. Is, to Nintendo is overall the better. It's it's the more classic one, right? Like, even people who are dyed-in-the-wool dyed kind of PlayStation and Xbox people. If you only have one for the rest of your life, you're going to go Nintendo.
0: Yeah, I think so. The titles are better. Characters are better. But no one really cares what I say. Anyways, um, no. you have to eat one cockroaches or mealworms.
1: I don't know what a mealworm is. I've heard cockroaches are actually quite good if you have them in chocolate or fry them.
0: (laughs) I'm pretty sure they're a delicacy. Don't ask me where I got that from, but I I, I didn't make it up.
1: Have you ever eaten? What's the weirdest thing you've eaten?
0: Uh, (laughs) uh, I was at a restaurant in Florida (laughs) where they brought us out Gator Tail, and it was like the actual Gator Tail.
1: What did you think? Oh, I see what you mean. Like It was like... It wasn't just cut up where it just looked like any other kind of meat. It was actually like, oh, wow, that's a gator tail. Yeah,
0: like they had filleted and like had cut out the meat of the tail. But like it was raw pretty much. Hmm. There was like this five-foot gator tail on the plate. And we all thought we were going to get like, you know, like fried gator tail, right?
1: How much does a five-foot gator tail cost?
0: Uh, gee, man, this was 11 years ago I was there, on, on that trip. I want to say, I remember the bill being somewhere around 300 bucks for five people, but that was like dinner, drinks, everything else.
1: All right, so that's probably not that crazy expensive. You're only talking about 60 bucks a person in terms of drinks. That's Yeah, that kind of changes it a little bit. I mean, if it was 300 for two people. That's expensive Gator Gator Tail.
0: And <laughs> listen, I I was drinking plenty of Bloody Marys that night. All right.
1: Wow, who drinks Bloody Marys at night?
0: That uh, that will tell you how much I actually drink Bloody Marys. I don't like tomatoes, so that was a terrible juice or a drink choice for me to go with.
1: Ah, uh, Gator Tail, nineteen ninety nine a pound in Louisiana. <laughs> Not that expensive. Hmm.
0: Anyways, my last question to you: What's easier to gain? Do you think? The quarantine 15 or the freshman 15?
1: Oh, quarantine 15 at this point. I mean, both of you and I have passed an age where we could put on 15 in a solid weekend. Like, your metabolism just slows down. and You can bulk up.
0: I I had to put on pants this morning, like blue jeans, and it's been about four or five days. And I'm just happy to be able to fit into them. Like, is that is that where we become as a nation? Because I feel like that's where I'm at right now.
1: Every time you say the phrase blue jeans, I just get pissed off. Like, why do you say blue jeans? Everybody knows what you're talking about. You don't have to put the color in there. You just say jeans.
0: Why do you get so angry all the time? Because it's what unnecessary.
1: Why are you like, oh, blue jeans? Oh, thank God for clarifying because I had no idea what you were fucking talking about <laughs> if you just said jeans. You're so angry. Well, you, why do you have to bring color into everything? Racist? Does Another your, example.
0: Does your little face turn really red when you get angry? I feel like it does.
1: No, I'm not really. People, not not so much. <laughs> I just want to know. know wh-
0: Nick is like five foot three, and it's hilarious.
1: 5'8", 3 quarters. Shout out to Stacey, USA life insurance. Best life insurance <laughs> in the game. <laughs> I assume. I don't know if it's good life insurance. I did up my life insurance because of COVID. I will say that.
0: <laughs> I had to I remember going and getting life insurance a uh, policy with my wife and like screaming and clawing to get one because I did not want one. Why but not? I don't want to pay the extra money a month to have one.:
1: I'm a get it.
0: What do I need oh. it for? I'm be dead. NASCAR's on. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about an average uh, Sunday afternoon at my house.
1: I actually think NASCAR has excellent production value. I think they do a really good job. I'm not into the sport, but I think the production value is fantastic. Are you done? I, I'm,
0: I'm... You're just, you're just ranting now. You're just angry all, all day. You're, I'm
1: you're upset about the blue jeans thing.
0: I'm wearing blue jeans right now. Like I said, blue
1: jeans. You're at home working with jeans on? That's <laughs> stupid. Why? Did you run out of sweatpants?
0: <laughs> First off, Dick, I think... And this is a true story... I might have one pair of sweatpants.
1: Why don't you have, you have a hundred shirts, as we discussed last episode, which is ridiculous, and one pair of sweatpants? Yep. What other kinds of pants do you have?
0: I don't think people care to know. I will just say that I don't wear a lot of pants usually, (laughs) like, on my own time. I wear (laughs) shorts. Even when it's negative 10 degrees outside, you know, I run hot all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I'm... You know, like you're a, you're like a Ford Escort, and I'm like one of those big ass work vans. You know what I mean?
1: No, I mean you don't have any kind of like track pants or whatever they call that, or just pajama pants.
0: You're just yeah, working. I have both of those, but I prefer shorts. I like to let my kneecaps breathe a little bit.
1: Yeah. Uh, so our top five is top five genres of music. I mean, I went pretty broad with my genres. I didn't get into like progressive indie pop. Right? Like, what's your number five?
0: Uh, so I, I cupped it all on the one, but like jazz. Like blues, soul, but like jazz is my number five.
1: When's the last time you actually listened to any of that? You just sit there, so you're just going to be at your house in your dark basement with the blues playing.
0: <laughs> I mean, I would say that all music is like you have to be in the mood for it. And jazz is one of those, like, it's a it's a rainy Saturday afternoon pop on a little jazz, and, you know, it's, it's just it's awesome. It's good music.
1: My thing with that kind of music, though, is, like, I can't listen to multiple songs in a row. Like, one song might be good, but I'm not listening to two of them in a row.
0: I mean, I, 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 I try to make it a habit to listen to two or three songs, because if not, everyone who knows me will know that I will just click a song right off after, like, 30 seconds. So like I, I try to listen to two or three songs of whoever I'm listening to. That way, you know, I can actually appreciate them and listen to it.
1: Are you one of those people that like really listens to music like in a dark room? Have your music <laughs> listening chair that you sit there like an asshole?
0: <laughs> no, but I, I would love that. I, I'm the kind of person that, you know, I, when I have free time, which I don't, but if I do. Oh, here we go. I'm, I'm like listening to music. I'm not watching TV. Like, I would rather pop on a record or listen to music before I watch TV.
1: See, I understand listening to music. What I've never understood is actually sitting there and just, like, listening to music, just listening to that one particular song. I can I can honestly say I've never done that. I've never listened to music and not been doing anything else.
0: Eh, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I'm sure I've done it, but I, I don't usually do that. It's obviously background noise, usually.
1: Okay. All right. My number five is actually classical music.
0: I thought about that, but I, other than an appreciation for it, I can't tell you the last time I listened to anything classical, like on purpose.
1: The only time that I would say is basically in movie sound and TV show soundtracks. Right? I mean, that's really the only experience commercials. That's where you hear most of it. But I think that it's, it's just such a strong. Like, everybody knows what that is. I think it has to be in the top five, even if it's not something that people actively listen to.
0: Uh, my number four is I have hip-hop.
1: Uh, what, really? That's pretty low for hip-hop. I feel like that needs to be higher on the list.
0: Uh, you know, I, I thought more about it, and, uh, or I thought more about the list as I was putting it together, and my three genres above it, I mean, I'm just, I love hip-hop, but when it comes to just, putting on something and playing the three genres I picked ahead of hip hop. I'm probably just, you know, doing that before I listen to anything hip hop.
1: Yeah. that Hip hop's a kind of a, it's a mood kind of thing for me, right? Like for sure. I couldn't sit there and like, listen to a whole album necessarily. Like I would have to be in that mood for it. Um, my number four is alternative slash indie.
0: Okay. I, I have both of those on my honorable mention.
1: See, I just wouldn't necessarily pick anything specifically. I just feel like so much stuff now fits into that category that maybe isn't just straight like rock or metal or whatever, that it kind of just goes into that category and it's become a stronger category because of it.
0: Right. I mean, you know, a couple of my favorite bands are alternative, but I don't have it on the list. Or at least are classified as alternative rock.
1: Okay, give us your examples, please.
0: Uh, Like Bush. The Offspring, the off- love both of those bands.
1: The and Offspring,
0: I know. Hate me for it.
1: You can come with Nickelback next.
0: <laughs> I don't even know what you would classify them as, but I oh. guess rock. I'm not really sure. Man, but, um,
1: I just love Dave Matthews. No, An no, or no. of a revolution. I just love them.
0: Three bands that you will never hear me say I like ever: Dave Matthews, Coldplay, and Train. Okay.
1: Oh yeah, there's some bands that are out there that when people say they really like them, you're like, what? Wait, what? I I know a guy who doesn't like music is not a person that goes to concerts but loves 311 and will go to 311 concert anytime he can see it. Like travels out of state for a 311 concert. It's only 311. The weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, that's... When, when I lived in Florida, it was fish. Like, I didn't understand why people would, like, spend weekends at a fish concert.
1: Well, they're just getting high. <laughs> I mean... Well, I mean, I mean that's, that, like, that's the only... That's one of those things where, like, people really like to go to Electric Daisy Carnival. Like, they really like that, and they really want to sit there and know they want to do drugs, man, and just leave, let them live their life. <laughs> Nothing wrong with drugs. <laughs> yeah.
0: And no way are we endorsing the use of drugs, uh... Uh, by the way. Uh just to be my, clear,
1: I am indu endorsing the use of drugs.
0: I'm gonna move on. Uh I have pop as my number three. Oh,
1: I didn't even think of I for some reason I feel like is that an official category or does pop mu- is it just the popular version of that category?
0: I think pop became its own genre in like the late nineties.
1: Okay. Thank you, music historian. Can you I mean, what give you me know, a year specifically? Give me a year specifically.
0: Hmm, just Probably the, Probably ninety eight and ninety nine. That's when like Britney Spears and NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys and LFO, uh all, all those bands. Um Monica, Brandy, I mean I could go on and on I think. Ah, um,
1: Nineteen fifty, smart guy.
0: <laughs> whatever. Either way, for me, it was like the mid to late 90s, and I get shit from a lot of people about my music choice, maybe rightfully so, but I don't care how badass you think you are, pop music usually, like, the the songs just leave lasting impressions. Like, if you're at the grocery store and a rock song comes on, you're like, oh, that's kind of weird, but then a pop song comes on that you could absolutely hate, but you know it, and it just puts you in a better mood.
1: Just for clarification, John Shaw has been quoted at length saying that pop, the boy band era of music is the greatest era of music of all time.
0: Well, I might have been under a lot of things at that moment. I don't know. I still said it. I got I to gotta own up to it. But that is not how I feel now.
1: Okay. Uh, what? Wait, What? my number three? Yeah. I don't know what the differences are necessarily, so I'm just going to put this all into one category. But I'm going to go with dance music. I'm not talking like any of that kind of house or techno or any of that kind of stuff, simply because you're going to tell me at one o'clock in the morning that stuff comes on, you're not going to have a good time.
0: (laughs) I mean, I would think at one o'clock in the morning, I hope to be other things than, you know, wanting to dance. But I understand what you're saying.
1: What other things do you want to be doing?
0: I I, I want to be on the couch. Like, that's when you're listening to some jazz or some blues or like some R&B. Like, that's when, you know, you're connecting when you're. 1 o'clock when you've probably have had a few drinks, maybe some other things. I don't want to get up and dance. I want to like sit there and just like chill out, you know what I mean?
1: Just take off your blue jeans, put on your shorts when it's negative 10 outside in Detroit, and hang out.
0: <laughs> My number two, uh, I put country at number two.
1: <sighs> I dislike country music with a passion.
0: I Ta- mean, mo- most people do, but I think... And I'm not. I, I like country music, but I I think on the on the grand spectrum of thing, how many artists have crossed over from from going to and coming from in history and have been huge? Like there, I mean, you have to give country. It has to be in the top five of music genres. I think for anybody. A uh, more progressive. Look at Kid Rock.
1: Are you gonna you're gonna use the example as Kid Rock?
0: Look That's at gonna be. Swift.
1: Okay, Taylor Swift, I'll give you that one. But the, the linchpin of your argument is kid rock. Whatever well, argument that is, you have lost that argument. He was,
0: I mean, he, he brought his rock, country, whatever you want to call his sound into multiple genres based upon country music. That's all I'm saying. I don't, I don't, I'll never understand, like, people hate on country music, but it's really that and, like, folk and, and blues, I feel, are, like, the backbone of most music.
1: I feel like you have a pretty solid knowledge of music that is a little bit impressive. And (laughs) I don't know how to necessarily feel about it, but I don't mind old country. Like, I like the old Hank Williams, Hank Williams Jr., that kind of country. The new stuff, I want to say there's this great YouTube video where they basically just mixed all of the top country songs, and they're all the same song. Hootie,
0: look at Darius Rucker. Alternative country, and now he's back to uh, alternative again.
1: uh Is he always going to be Darius Rucker or Hootie to you?
0: Hootie, always Hootie.
1: Yeah, he's always going to be Hootie. What number are we on?
0: You're on your number two. Oh, hip hop. Okay.
1: What's your number okay. one?
0: uh I mean, you got to go rock.
1: Yeah, rock's pretty. Like it's pretty hard. Ho- I-, I don't know what could beat it. Ultimately. Right, because everybody ultimately identifies with some rock and roll song more than they probably identify with something else in those other genres. I might
0: think that country and blues and blah, 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 you know, is the backbone, but everybody likes a rock song, like at least one.
1: Okay, what's in your honorable mention?
0: Uh, Let's see, I put classical down. I put um, uh, classical, I have R&B, folk, alternative, heavy metal. I also put down musicals, but I don't know if that's actually a genre of music.
1: I would actually make an argument that music, musicals or soundtracks, movie soundtracks, that could be a, like a number six. And I could see heavy metal being a number six as well, like being right there. Because there's a lot of good heavy metal songs that a lot of people know.
0: There are. I think when Screamo came out, though, in the late 90s, at least to me, I was like, all right, that's enough.
1: Wait, what? What? What?
0: Screamo, you know, like uh, uh, the 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 most. I don't want to say famous, but the example that comes to my mind is Slipknot.
1: I thought that was thrash metal.
0: Oh, is it? Maybe. I could be completely wrong. I I don't know. I I, I've always thought it was screamo, but maybe it's thrash metal. I've never even. I don't think I've ever heard of thrash metal.
1: I've never even heard of screamo.
0: But look at us, just teaching teaching things to each other. And I'm, I'm, I'm even wearing my blue jeans still.
1: Okay, here's the list of Screamo bands. Seisha, Page 99, Under Oath, City of Caterpillar, Circle Takes Square. I've never heard of any of these. <laughs> never heard of any of them.
0: I, I, it sounds like a future guest opportunity for a Screamo band to come on. Maybe we should add a music segment to the show. Well, I guess I'm wrong. I guess Slipknot isn't – I guess they are thrash metal because they're not on that list. They'd be right at the top of that list, I'm sure.
1: Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. We have those T-shirts that are available. We've actually been selling some of them. So I want to say a huge thank you to everybody who bought one. We tried to make them, quite frankly, as cheap as we could, but man, shipping stuff is expensive.